Everyone, hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm sitting here with Graham Elwood and Chris Mancini from the very popular podcast Comedy Film Nerds, also creators, founders of the very influential podcast festival, Podfest, LA Podfest, and the guys behind Earbuds. What's the full title? Earbuds, the podcast documentary? That's correct. Podcasting documentary. Um, wow, we've really doubled down on podcasting. <laughs> we really, man, if this medium goes away, we are living on the streets. Well, it's kind of funny. Um, so, I, the, great job on the documentary. Thank you. Um, and I want to talk to you guys all about sort of everything that went into it, because you, you trotted around the globe to talk to fans, which must have been fun for you and so thrilling for them. Um, but there's a scene where a, a writer named Kyle Ryan says that he doesn't think media companies are going to be interested in podcasting. Like the, the moment has passed, which is amusing to me because I know that I think right now media companies are very interested in podcasts. Um, yeah. Well, what so was your take on that? So interested they're buying them. Yeah, it was, it was hilarious for us. So that was recorded in the spring of 2014. And then while we were editing, like literally a year later in 2015, um, we met the this podcast from Sweden that sold out a... Oh, right. Sold more tickets yeah, than Metallica. Metallica yeah. What some, is it? Chris and Lars? Chris and something? Yeah, it was... Um, Philip and Fred. Philip and Fred. <laughs> Chris and Lars. <laughs> Whatever. Close. Those Swedes all got the same crazy names. Um, <laughs> So, oh, was, I'm sorry, was, Philip. I'm sorry, Frederick. It, it was Stieg Larsson, right? Yeah, it was Stieg Larsson. That's who did it. Uh, but yeah, so then we found out about them. And then literally, while we were editing, we found that information out. And then um, Mark Maron interviews President Obama. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then all these big... At their request. At their request. Yeah. The right, Obama. the White House reached out to him. Yes. So then, you know, all these big companies have come in. So that's... We put that in there. We not to like I'm not we weren't trying to stick it to Kyle Ryan, but it was just sort of funny. And he was <laughs> right. he's always like, "Yep, I really I put my foot in my mouth on that one." That's, <laughs> that's like that old clip that they trot out every now and then of that f- '50s DJ where he's like, "Rock and roll has got to, to go, go yeah. and like breaks yeah. it around. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally that. It's that someone. It's that patent clerk in the 1800s. It's like everything's been invented, you know? It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, we'll yeah. always need stagecoaches. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember um, in a media studies class in college, and this probably shows how old I am, the professor saying the written word is going to increasingly come under, I don't think he said it, like become more and more scarce. Like, we, you know, people don't value the written word mm. anymore. And it's yet, and it's yet, that's not a sentence. Clearly I'm not valuing, valuing the language. Um, I think that was... Uh, was understandably wrong because now I think talking on the phone and stuff like that is much less popular. It's yeah. much more about what you type. It is. Yeah, it is. It, it's it, it's very interesting. That's such a great point. And how, who could have foreseen that this, you know, the cell phone would actually, the, the main feature it was designed for would be used now the least. Right. Right. You know, uh, now it's a camera and a computer and a... Well, to be fair, texting has butchered words yeah. in the English language. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I just mean the actual, like, disseminating things via letters. Yes. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, it's funny because, so remember when when, I mean, we've sort of seen how technology the ebbs and flows of it. So like all the newspapers are dying, magazines are dying, and then the tablet comes out and they sort of get a resurgence. Mm -hmm. Right. And now they have this whole new life online because, and and with- with, You get subscriptions just on your tablet for your your favorite magazine. For your favorite magazine, Mm -hmm. your favorite newspaper. I mean, I get some newspapers. I mean, even now just the the bigger iPhones or the, the, the bigger smartphones that are sort of mini tablets. Right. Yeah, the paperboy lobby is a little less powerful now. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so tell me about... Oh God, there's so many things I want to talk to you guys about. Let's talk about the documentary. Okay. Um, 
what made you want to do it? Can you explain a bit sort of what you were trying to do with it? You know, I, I think what we wanted to do is we wanted to make a documentary about podcasting, but we didn't want it to be like a how-to or just interviews of famous podcasters. Or just a tech podcast or, yeah. or a tech doc. We didn't yeah. want that. We really wanted to focus on what was so special about podcasting, and that was the personal relationship between fan and host. And that's what we really wanted to focus on, the humanity uh, of that relationship. And that's what we... Um, traveled all over the country and to Australia and Japan for to find and explore. And what we found was, you know, surprised us even, you know, how close and how uh, strong that relationship is. Yeah, I think the, you know, we set up, I, I can't remember how many, but maybe four or five, um, just for the fans. We we announced it on, on Comedy Film Nerds. We just said, you know, we did it at Meltdown. We did it at the Improv. We did it at a Zanies in Chicago. We did it in New York City, and we did it in Sydney, Australia. And we just said, we're going to be at this theater of club for, for these, you know, 12 to 5 on this Saturday. Come by and tell us your story. And wow, that was, you know, where we really got to hear the stuff that Chris, like Chris just said, that we weren't expecting. Like, we knew, you know, some people had emailed us. I'm sure you, every podcaster has gotten an email like, oh, wow, your podcast got me through this tough time or mm -hmm. whatever. But some of the stories we heard... Um, like the one woman that came in to Sydney, you know, we didn't know her at all. And she was like, I was in an abusive relationship. Right. I had PTSD. She said she was brainwashed. Brainwashed. Yeah. By this guy was just so awful. And she really had to rebuild her personality. And, <clears throat> you know, it was obviously because coming from that sort of abuse was pretty agoraphobic. And so that was her human connection. And listening to people laugh was listening to just comedians be jackasses on a podcast. Wow. Never did we ever anticipate that from from at any point in pre-production or product. Did we ever think that was going to happen or mm -hmm. hear that story? Mm -hmm. um, you know, people telling us I was suicidal and I listened to shows and it helped me. And that was where. And we and it recurred like it wasn't yeah. just it was uh -huh. our fans. It was, you know, Keith and the girls fans. And we, we heard it from the other podcasters as well. That yeah, that was kind of. Um, surprising and I don't know that I enjoyed the experience of realizing oh this thing that I have with my community of listeners everyone has that yeah. <laughs> it's not I mean it is special but you know I have like wonderful I have I, I truly believe they're the best listeners in the world and there's a whole community and now they hang out with each other and they and they say that the podcast means you know has meant this to them and that which I attribute to the types of things I talk about on the podcast, but then realizing, oh, this kind of relationship replicates itself with all podcasts and their listeners, like regardless of the content. Maybe it is much more the actual, just the form of podcasting. I, I yeah, I yes, I think a lot of it is just the medium we're you know talking. I mean, some you know the barriers are down, yeah. and that's one of the things that makes it so personal. Is like there's not you know. Um, there's no one controlling your content. You can say whatever you want, you know, you know, you, and you can tell Jeff to edit it out or not. So, but there's Jeff, not, take this out. Yeah. <laughs> this whole segment's really lame. Yeah. Jeff. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that the uh, listeners respond to is the, the fact that it's raw and real and unedited. I mean, one of the, the one of the articles that came out in, I don't know, 2011, maybe 2012, I think it was in the New York times or something. And it said, don't listen to comedians podcast podcast for the funny, listen for the serious, for the mm. real. And it was like, wow. And cause it's true. And no other medium, especially a lot of us who have been in show business a while and have done all these different things, no other format. Could we talk this honestly or openly about what we're thinking and what we're feeling and going through gotten kicked around by the business. For yeah. A fair whatever, whatever <laughs> personal struggles you're going through. I mean, I, I remember being on the road and, um, some people coming up and going, man, you know, I'm sorry you're going through a divorce. And I was like, how the hell do you know that? Oh, right. I talked about it on the show. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, it was, and it was like, Oh, they, they, and then to hear the thing I never thought of until we really did the interviews for earbuds was the fans going, well, I was struggling with depression or whatever, or some type of mental illness or just a, just personal struggles. And then to hear this comedian that I look up to going through the same struggles. Oh, I don't feel crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't feel like there's a relatability. Yeah. There. Yeah. And, and, oh, they're telling me how they got help. 
you know? And so, oh, I can get that help. I, it's, it's useful to me. And you're just like, I mean, comedians lives aren't perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they seem so happy. In you know? Yeah. yeah. Like confusing. Show business seems so fair yeah. and, <laughs> and fun and based on merit. <laughs> yeah. It's totally all of it. So, yeah, I think that was the biggest thing we encountered. How has it, um, Graham, you're a stand-up. Mm-hmm. How has being honest on a podcast affected your stand-up? And this is something that you guys touch on a bit in the documentary as well. Uh, you know, I think it's, you. Ha- I mean, so so Comedy Film Nerds is, you know, obviously it's a movie podcast. But I realized, oh, I need to do more movie jokes in my act if Comedy Film Nerds fans are coming out to comedy clubs. And also, and it did. They're primed for them. They're primed for (laughs) it. And I know they'll get them. I'll Mm -hmm. know they'll get these obscure film jokes. Um, But also, like Bert Kreischer says in the film, you have to be a little more personable. You can't just like do an act. I mean, yes, I have material, but the material, you know, I started going back on the road um, right as all this podcasting was start, like oh eight oh nine, I started going on the road, opening up for Doug Benson, and then started doing my own shows. And so I saw the like podcast fans start to show up more in the clubs in nine and ten and twenty eleven. And you know, I feel like it was encouraging me in terms of my writing to just be more personable versus just write a joke. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's the beauty of it. Right. Who whose idea was the documentary? Chris's. It was mine. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. He's tried to give us both credit before in the past. <laughs> so I I've I've ceased letting that be allowable. So so I, that's why I took that pause. I was like, is he gonna do this again? Um but yeah, to give Chris credit, there was mm-hmm. we were getting ready for the twenty fourteen no, the 2013 PodFest, the second year of the podcast festival. And um, first the year prior, Stephen Feinart said he was going to, he he directed Bitter Buddha, the, that documentary about Eddie Pepitone. And he was like, I'm going to do a podcasting documentary. So can I bring a camera crew to the first year of the festival? We're like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, you know, it just, I couldn't get it done. And it just fell apart. And I got other projects yeah, I'm doing. He couldn't crack it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one of the things that uh, I came to grandma, I said, let me, uh, let me have you mull this over for a second. And, well, wait a uh, minute now. First oh. of all, before you said what, what prompted you to say that was someone, some fan emailed us and was just like, "I'm thinking about doing a podcast documentary. Could I just come by your right. festival with a camera?" And we both sort of mulled it over, and then we were like, "Let's talk about this the next time we meet." So I come into the garage where we used to do comedy film nerds, and I was like, "So what do you think of that guy's email?" And Chris said, "And I said, uh, look, Graham." Who knows more about podcasting and filmmaking documentaries and independent film more than us? And then um, I think we should be the ones making this documentary. And just so mo- and- fuck you, fan. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, and just so and I said to Graham, I said, why don't you just mull it over for a little bit? And he went, I've already mulled it over. It's done. We should be doing it. So- <laughs> Is that that's how you are, right? Is that how you are? Question mark. <laughs> oh, you mean just sort of like, yeah, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> um. Yeah, like impetuous. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, Chris is the more stable one, uh, <laughs> or the more, or the more <laughs> methodical, mm-hmm. um, which you know means whatever he thinks. Some we're like a married couple. I'm the yeah. one. Graham, you rush in too much, and I'm like Chris, you take too long. Right. So, yeah. uh, so we meet in the middle. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times we meet we in the middle. Meet in the middle. <laughs> but yeah, so I had already directed a feature documentary, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um. So I had been through that process. Chris and I are both filmmakers. Um, you know, we're both comedians. I mean, Chris hasn't really done that much, but he w- has been a comic for a long time. And then mm-hmm. doing the festival and doing our own podcast, we just... It, he, like, we had to put it together. He made the... When he put it to me that way, I went, oh, well, pff, yeah, why are we dancing around this? Mm-hmm. And, and it was the other thing, too, is in the back of our heads, too, someone's going to make a podcasting documentary. It should be we us. Don't, we don't want it to be ruined. We, we, wanted, <laughs> we wanted to really get to the heart of it. And, uh, we did the, the first, first festival, so we might yeah. as well do the first documentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's, uh, you know, I'm sure there's other podcast documentaries in production. I know there's... Uh, some have already come some out. Some already come out, There's yeah, one so about there's, specifically Dan Harmon, I believe. Or, yeah, uh, Harmontown. So there's, you know, it's not... We're st- we were still the, uh, the first ones to shoot. 
we just got stuck in editing for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. what we are happy to say, it is now out there. It's not just at Comedy Film Nerds. It's it's everywhere. It's iTunes, Amazon. We got a distributor, and it's it's out into the world now. Yeah, and that was all out of that conversation in the summer of 2014. And what is it, 2017 now? So, no, that was summer of 2013. Is when because then we just said so that so we. We already had hired a camera crew to just shoot the festival for like promotional stuff for the festival. And we said, well, let's get some interviews because we had done a Kickstarter for the first year of the festival. Right. So we we're like, let's kickstart the movie. Because we there's no way we can put this on credit cards or a no, to no, do let it. alone do we want to spend six months to a year trying to raise money in Hollywood and be told no and maybe never right. make it. Or we could mm. just spend the six months putting together a Kickstarter and getting the money. Yeah. Right. And having it almost kill us. Yeah. So there's uh, as Kickstarters are not easy campaigns, and no. uh, we were down. We were, if, if you remember, we were down to the wire. It was literally oh right because you know, if you don't hours, raise it, you don't get the, the money. It all goes it away. All goes away. What yeah. was your goal? One hundred forty thousand. One hundred forty thousand, mm-hmm. and you know, it was we were literally, you know. Um, or one thirty five, I think, was our goal, yeah. and we raised one thirty nine or yeah. Did, did we, oh yeah, we overfunded. Yeah, barely <laughs> <laughs> with like a half an hour to go. Right. So it's it was it was a uh, it was a photo finish for sure, and then but then we we got there and we uh, were like, all right, now the work begins. We uh, we start to you know get our pre production going and scheduling, and you know we we really wanted to make Australia and Japan part of it, but you know there were budgetary constraints, so. We uh, we had to get a little more help from uh, from Squarespace. They actually helped us go overseas. Oh, that's nice. So it was did really. You, how nice. did that work? Well, we, you know, everyone was telling us, "Oh, you can't get product. No one does product placement anymore, unless you're the Avengers and you're asking Pepsi or whatever." Right. Like, forget it. It's like, yeah, you'll never you'll never be able to do it. No, no, they don't do it for indie films. And we we're like, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> uh, and we've been dealing with all these tech companies with the festival being sponsors and Squarespace. Really, they're not doing it so much anymore, but they were putting a lot of money into mm-hmm. podcasts. They were one of the first ones to really put money into podcasts. So we sent this proposal to them of like, guys, this is we're not going to do an infomercial in the middle of the movie, but you're a part of the you growth know, of the podcasting. growth of podcast. You really are because they they spent so much money and helped a lot of shows grow, us included, and the festival. They helped the festival grow. Mm-hmm. We we're like, yeah, you had a Squarespace stage, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You should be a they part. Sponsored the lab. The, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the lab was the the first year. of The lab was them. They they put the money up yep. for that. And we were like, you guys are really helping this. So we, how about you know, send someone who looks like a snowboarder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Which was like to me, it was like I'm so glad. And he was like, boy, I don't know if my boss, and he had to clear it with his boss, but we were like, visually, you're the guy we want. I'm he was good, yeah. yeah. He was great, man. <laughs> um, so yeah, and Squarespace was so helpful on so many things with us that they really needed to be a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. What were the conversations between the two of you like when you were on your way to Australia or Japan? To, and, and did you do shows there, or did you really go just to interview a fan? Oh no, we we literally it was movie only. There was really no time no to do time. shows or anything else. And the conversations mainly with um, going to Japan and Australia were like, I can't believe we're going to Japan and Australia. <laughs> it was um, now. How do we get all this crew and equipment <laughs> through customs? <laughs> so <laughs> how many people were were in the whole? We had a crew of six hundred, so it was a lot of people. <laughs> oh my so. god. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, they were miniature Did you people. consider yes. trying to streamline it at all, or was that just really your vision? No, we just need, we needed no, a shoot like, we liaison. We got to get this done right. Yeah. <laughs> we needed Ten s- cameras a shoot. <laughs> we needed someone to make me vegan smoothies. Yeah. Uh, what did we have, three, four guys? It was, yeah. It was, it was, uh, Ca- I think... Uh, I think it was three. No, it was four. It was, four. it was so... Uh, uh, on oh, the, four, four. Right, yeah. it was, it was, it was Kevin... Uh, Garrity, uh, Jesse, and Mike, the sound guy. It was mm-hmm. those four guys. Mm-hmm. And then they had a buddy that happened to be in Japan, and we're like, you are our new PA. Right. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> we'll buy you dinner every day. Yes. Get used to sharing a room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they were this young crew, and they were really awesome because they were so fired up. It was Dan. Dan was the sound guy. Dan, that's right. Dan Michelin. Dan, Dan Michelin. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it was Dan, Kevin, Jesse, and 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 Andrew Garrity. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was really, because we told them from day one, look, guys, 
We're on a budget. We're on a budget. <laughs> it's four of you in a hotel room. But they were in their 20s. They're like, we're yeah, making a movie. Party. You know? Right. Yeah. So it was like. That's the preferred way you travel, I think, until like 26. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's when you start going, I need my own bed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my own room. I need my, and a room. bed. I need yeah. at least. Yeah. Like, can't do the floor. <laughs> um, so then when we got, we were already in production and. Australia and Japan were these big question marks. Can we do it? We might not be able to blah, blah, blah. So when the money came through and we told them this is happening, they were like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it we, was it was really cool. We took a couple days in Japan just to um, see the countryside. But literally, I think it was maybe a day or two at the end of the shoot. It wasn't much. And Australia, because it was so, it was literally, there was no margin for error. Right. Just because um, we were on such a tight budget. And you were going to, a re- like, I love the the people in the documentary who are talking about how surprising it is that you're going to australia but you're not going to like a known city and you're just going to this like bfe australia yeah (laughs) yeah we spent you know we arrived in sydney and then the next day shot all the interviews at the theater and then flew to perth Perth, but we only stayed in the airport in Perth for for, a, for like an hour, yeah. and then flew up to Newman. Yeah, which was in the middle of nowhere. And we were in Newman two days. Yeah, shooting, and, and then like had a red eye, like literally. And so the schedule was so tight. We had to get interviews with this guy. We had to sh- the, the guy mi- who, a minor, the minor, right. the mm-hmm. minor. And I remember too when we were in Sydney, we were meeting with our friend C.J. Johnson, who's in the uh, in the movie. Him and his wife they made us dinner, and that mm-hmm. was like one of our social things that we did. We went over there. We saw his then, play that he directed, yes, and, which yes. is really cool. And uh, his wife said to us, um, uh, "Hey, uh, you know, Sydney's really globalized. You can really see, you know, it's westernized, all the chains and stuff. But you know, you're going to Newman. There is nothing out there. You're not going to see anything." And we get to Newman, and there's a subway. <laughs> and a kid from Atlanta working there. We're just like, what? We're literally like, seriously, what are you doing? You must have gotten Shanghai yeah, or something. Happened? Like, you know, right. just, just came out in Atlanta, and then they hit him on the head, and then he just woke up <laughs> in Newman, Australia. Did you sleep with the manager's yeah. daughter? Like, what happened? What made this? And he was just like, I don't know. They offered me, and I, t- I took it, and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work for me, this so was, story. Yeah, it was crazy. And then so we, yeah, then we literally, we shot in and then had to fly to, to Perth and and then fly and then flew on a red, like through the night with the layover in Kuala Lumpur on Malaysian Airlines. They had just had the, a, a horrible air, plane crash. Oh, the. Yeah. The one, uh, one where no one knew where the plane was. Yeah, it yeah. disappeared. So those flights were cheap, um, yeah, yeah. and we had a lot of space on the plane. <laughs> we had the uh, indie filmmaker upgrade where everybody got their own row and coach and they got right. to sleep. Um, and then, you know, got to Japan, and that was... I mean, the whole time we just kept going, this is... This is crazy. This is crazy. When we were sh- when we were shooting, like, on, on the set in L.A., that was cool. We were like, wow, we're making a movie. And then when we right. went on the East Coast, we were like, oh, this is cool. But when we were in Australia, we were just like, this is... And you had been to Australia before. I had never been yeah, there. Yeah, you'd never been. And then Japan, neither one of us had been there. No, well, that was the cool part. Mm-hmm. Japan, I mean, Australia was awesome, but Japan, none of us had ever been there. And so we all were just like, wow. And we had, the, one of the things that made it a hundred times easier was we had guides. We had three fans out there, mm-hmm. uh, Sanai, Andrea, and Andy. And the they basically took turns being our chaperones. Yeah. <laughs> and um, if we didn't have those guides and chaperones, it would have been a hundred times harder we didn't, just to get around. We had no permits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, we're taking- <laughs> Do you get into trouble anywhere for that? You know, it's funny. What we were told, uh, so Andy Utek, who's in the movie, is he works in in showbiz. He's done a lot of production stuff in Japan. And we're like, what about permits? He said the bureaucracy in Japan is so bad that most people will just won't see you. They'll just pretend not to see you because they're like, if I got to get my boss Mm -hmm. and the paperwork, so they everyone just sort of like, oh, I'm sweeping. I don't see five guys with cameras. You know, like Mm -hmm. they just (laughs) sort of. And he goes blind so just, eye. So just blind eye. So he goes, just run around, and then if anyone stops, you just be a dumb tourist, right? And we we're like, okay, never stopped once. Mm-hmm. We were the only place we were stopped was in the Australian customs, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because we we were getting all our bags and customs, and all these 
camera, these big pelican cases right. for all the gear. And all of a sudden, some Australian woman in a customs uniform is like, all right, what's all of this? Who's in charge? You know, <laughs> just like, uh, and then she's like, come with me, come with me. And then she got her boss and he's like, I was in charge. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, all right, mate, we're going to go talk to my boss, you know? And I was, <laughs> so was it like, oh, because you're, because they were concerned about the equipment or because you're coming and doing work in the country? That's it. Yeah. Right. They're really strict about that in Australia. You can go visit all you want, but they're just like, and so as we were walking to meet the boss, I was just small talking. He's like, so I go, yeah, we're, we're not. He goes, well, let me get, talk to my boss. We'll sort it out. So um, the boss goes, so you guys, what, I go, it's just a documentary. Like we're not, no one's paying us in Australia with the money. And he goes, but you're on holiday, right? I said, well, yeah, we're shooting. He goes, no, you're on holiday. Yeah. I said, yes, sir, I'm on holiday, and we're just shooting stuff for our for our families. And he goes, perfect, and stamped us. And was like, <laughs> so he was helping us out, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he totally helped us and out. And then after Australia, we were like, all right, we got to get a plan together for Japan, because clearly it's going to be a lot more strict, Way more strict. In, in Japan. So I was like, all right, we'll... we'll We'll go through, you know, two by two. We'll split up the gear. We'll make sure, you know, it doesn't look like we're a big camera crew just getting together. We get to Japan. We go right through customs, no problem. Nobody stopped us. Nobody, Nobody stopped said us boo. Nobody said anything. We were just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, now I'm asking you to reveal behind the scenes stuff. But there are some scenes in it. I mean, there's a t it's, it's very moving in general, but there are a few scenes where there's you know, people tearing up on camera, like when Dave Anthony meets Sinai yes. yeah. for the mm -hmm. first time. Did you, did, was it like a reality show where they had to film that scene a few times? No, it's, never. I well, was, with, with, yeah, we had to, we wanted to get the tears just right. Like, yeah. so it's, <laughs> we gave, uh, we gave Dave drops. Yeah. No, I, I was pretty, it was all real. It was all real. I, mm. I very much do not like what reality shows do. I haven't worked on them. So I was very, trying to be the most authentic documentarian mm -hmm. I could. And so I was like, you guys are not meeting each other until I have cameras rolling. And I was like, sequester, sequester, not, no, this isn't happening. And then I was, I just told the camera guys, because we would run either two or three cameras at a time. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things to make, you know, that you can kind of tell it's authentic is we didn't do extra takes when like, oh, well, one of the camera ops are in the shot or the boom. Like we wanted to, we don't care. We wanted to make sure people knew that this, this was happening for real. Yeah, I didn't care. And and one of the, one of the early meetings we had with the crew, I was like, look, I don't mind seeing what's behind the curtain because that's kind of podcasting. Right. We're all talk like. Oh, the sounds we screwed up, you know, Jeff, whatever. Like it's very, it's very sort of punk rock in that regard. So I didn't mind seeing camera guys in the shot or booms or whatever, because, um, we wanted to just show the grittiness of yeah, this. Yeah, that came up with the editor. The editor asked us, like, Are you, is it okay to have put this stuff in? I'm like, yeah, that's how we shot it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was the editing process like? That long, uh, expensive. Honestly, <laughs> that's where we, we really hit some snags. Is uh, But, you know, with a documentary, you kind of expect it, but we hit a lot of stuff. Why? Um, one of them was the amount of footage that we shot. The workflow was a little off with the editor. Like we, we would be editing scenes and then scenes got re-edited that we had locked. And then it, it just, it, it was, uh, um, do you guys each edit yourselves as well? No, no, we hired yeah. an editing team. So, uh, but what, what also happens too, is when you're not paying someone full rate, like you're not getting their full attention. Mm -hmm. So that extends the timeline of your, your editing. Also too, with, documentaries is that's where you're writing your script is in the edit, edit room. So I'm never going to make a doc again, unless I have full pay. Like you need a team of assistant editors to go in first, just spend the first three weeks logging yes. everything, knowing where every piece of footage is everything. So you have to spend, and we kind of didn't have the money for that. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you need to spend, then your lead editor and your post-production super, you need to pay them their full rate, so that this is their job for the next six months. And if me personally, if I don't have the money to do that on my next doc, I'm not doing it. You know, it, it's funny, like uh, a lot of our issues really, um, when you boil them down, always went back to budget. Always like went like back it to really. Um, well, 140 it, is 
a small budget. It's a tiny, yeah, tiny, tiny budget. budget. And mm-hmm. we probably put, yeah, we put in more money after that for yeah, sure. Yeah, we, we did. That we, was not the final budget on yeah, this movie. Yeah, to get it finished, we, it, it, the, the movie was like that, uh, was like a pickpocket. Every couple months, we just take money out of our wallets <laughs> to like, you know, it was just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just go? a little bit more. How come, yeah. How come I don't have the money for this thing and that thing? Oh, yeah. Comedy Film Nerds is paying me zero dollars. Yes. <laughs> I, but the, just, I will say this to, to being going back to the editor, but that, that Tina Imahara, who was the editor, I think I was very happy with what she did. And we're very happy with the end result. Absolutely. It was just it just took us forever to get there. And we had some <laughs> young editors that stepped up. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid Kevin Ott has done great work for us, and he, still he, is, still, still is, because we're still delivering. He was young and hungry, and Tina would sort of oversee him on some stuff. But um, she, you know, she's been nominated for an Oscar and a Temple University alum. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so she was really. It was great. I really liked working with her because of the conversations and um, you know, just talking about telling this, how to tell the story. And it's, it's such a unique process. You're not doing this in any other type of movie. Are you sitting there with this? What was the other, of, what was the other movie that she did? That was, uh, it was a documentary about, uh, was it fuel? Was it, it that movie? I think it was fuel. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was environmental doc mm. that got right. nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. And so, and her expertise, what she really got, what we were doing was that, you know, she would find the heart in the scenes and that's mm-hmm. what, that's what we really needed an editor. To so do all that. those scenes were like, and it's so funny. We always get people on Twitter or whatever going, Oh my God, earbuds, how dare you? You made me cry. I wasn't expecting to cry in a podcasting documentary. She was really good at finding the emotion and, and the cuts and how to, how to shape those emotional scenes together. Mm. Uh, in ways that really help tell the story of the initial thing that Chris said at the top of this interview of we wanted to find the personal connection. Well, so I don't know. We we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but I imagine when you went into the editing process, you have all this footage and there's like five at least different versions of the story you could tell. Did you already know at that point we want to tell the story of the personal connection with the fans or like what are some of the other stories you felt like you could have told? Well, we definitely had an idea of where we wanted to go. We wrote out an outline. Yeah. As far as the structure of the film went. Before we got into primary editing. Okay. Like when, when principal photography was done, only thing we had left to do was shoot Podfest of 2014, but 80, 90% of the movie was done. Chris and I, that there was a couple months between the end of shooting uh, in June and then the festival in like September. So that summer, Chris and I really wrote out the outline and the three act structure right. mm-hmm. of what we wanted based on the footage we had. And we, we put it together in a way that we were like, okay, this is kind of what we want to do. So then when we got into the details, that's where things kind of got a little f- more fluid where, mm-hmm. okay, well, this is that we want to tell this story. We want to tell this story. This is the overall story that we want to tell. And then these are the other interviews that we want to sprinkle in in between. So that's when we started putting the uh, fine tuning the structure. And once we st- got into that process and saw like, you know, man, that interview and this, you know, this person talking about their mental illness and their struggle, that's when we were like, you know, we had to make and it, this this actual the transition from radio to podcasting. We got some great interviews with some some like diehard radio like Preston and Steve out of Philly and like really great interviews but it would have been a two and a half hour mm-hmm. movie so that's when we were like all right this stuff has to move to the bonus content right you know right that that you can download on iTunes mm-hmm. um but but we realized that's when we were like it was when we got into editing that we saw while wow, the mental illness aspect is going to be a lot larger than we thought. Initially, we, we had the interviews. I was going to interview Paul Gilmartin and he was going to talk about mental illness happy hour and that was going to be really cool. And I had the one interview with Ashley scheduled because mm-hmm. she had said to me, I'm, I'm willing to be open about, you know, going through um, uh, my mental illness. But then when all the other interviews just came in, literally people walked in off the street that's when it changed and that's when that became a bigger ass focus of the movie because the the themes kept recurring yeah mm-hmm. like uh no matter what city we were in they they came back again and it was it was one of those kind of surprises for us as as filmmakers while we were making this movie um you're like oh if it happens in one city okay understandable but when it happens in all of them you know oh, you're oh. on to something and i think as the viewer that has an interesting powerful a little bit confounding effect to be like to be hearing the same thing repeatedly from all the, like it becomes a chorus. 
It's crazy. Yeah, and I think that's yep. that's we were like, well, this is an opportunity not just to obviously the movie the goal from day one is to make people aware of podcasting. But now there's a secondary thing of we can make people aware of mental illness and get them talking about it in a way that they hadn't. Because I think America does, you know, really needs. There's still a, uh, there's still a rather large stigma attached yeah, to it for and, sure. And we really. Pump Gilmartin can't do it all on his own. No, so <laughs> it's like we re- this country really needs to talk about it. Yeah. So I was really happy that we were able to kind of um, make be, that a part of the make film. Make that a part of the film and be mm-hmm. of service to that. To, to people that are struggling with that mm-hmm. <clears throat> and also help the family members understand it because I think that's part of where the stigma comes from is the person that doesn't have it as Gil Martin says in the movie <laughs> people that think you know situational sadness is like uh, you know depression clinical depression is like going to Olive Garden and think you've been to Italy you know right. like it's so it's it's uh, that's part of it too is I think the family member that has the, you know, I, you know, if you don't know what it's like to go through that and someone is like down all the time, you think, well, I've been down, but I just pick myself up. You know, I go, walk I it do off. I walk it you off. Walk I, it do, off. <laughs> I do something fun <laughs> yeah. and I'm good. So why can't you do that? And it's like, cause I, I can't, you know, <laughs> it's like, why some, can't you just not be depressed? Yeah. It's like <laughs> right, Shaquille like it's O'Neal saying to me going, Graham, why don't you just slam dunk? <laughs> uh, I'm 5'10". I'm 5'10". It's never going to happen. Did you see there was some dipshit on Twitter what? Who, what? Wait a minute. Back up. I, I don't know. know what you're How talking about. How dare you I, say he, that? He came, he came in from YouTube, I guess. I don't know. Um, like a conservative firebrand dickhead who said, who, uh, his That's all tweets, one word. Yeah, his tweets went viral because he was saying that depression is a choice and it's a weakness. Yeah. And I forget who it was, though. And no need to give him extra attention. Yeah. Um, so have you both battled mental illness in some form? I've had to deal with some PTSD, um, partially from some childhood stuff. And then a lot of it was from doing all the war zone shows. Mm-hmm. I didn't really realize it, but like, you know, if, if you watch Afghanistan, um, which is also available on Amazon, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm on a helicopter. Always be plugging. Always right. be plugging. <laughs> That's one <ABP>. thing. <laughs> Alec Baldwin told me from, uh, <laughs> Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, put the coffee pot down. <laughs> we had to have one film joke in here. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it w- was yeah. So I was on a helicopter that came under fire, and and you know I just didn't. I by Alec Baldwin. By Alec Baldwin, he shot at me. Wow. He was playing his game, his video game. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was so, and you know I'm like surfing and and down near the the Camp Pendleton Marine Corps base, and like a big Marine Corps helicopter flies by with that boom, 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 mm. that only military helicopters have, and I like start you know getting emotional on my surfboard and i'm like wow so yeah i had dealt with some of that um and and talked about that and and got help with that and then you know there's been you know um other stuff like repressed memories of abuse and stuff that's been hard you know i've I've dealt with that and and i've even had people that i was close to tell me oh that's not a real thing you know and you're just like oh wow you know who else doesn't think it's a real thing? Lawyers for the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> but congratulations for lining up with that mm-hmm. winning team. Right. Um, Scientologists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I just adjusted my e-meter and we're all good. <laughs> so for me, it's been more anxiety. That's, mm-hmm. you know, depression's bastard cousin. Uh, right. But, uh, and it started with, you know, becoming a father was what re- was what really uh, gave me anxiety. And then I wrote a book about it. Mm. Always be plugging. Pacify <laughs> me, the handbook for the freaked out new dad. And I will put uh, Amazon links to all of this yes. stuff in the episode summary. <laughs> was the anxiety that you wouldn't be able to provide? Or was no. it just the fear of everything in it the world? Was, it was a uh, irrational fear that my life was going to be over. Like, oh. wouldn't, wouldn't oh, be I able to do, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be able to do anything. Couldn't watch TV. Couldn't ever leave the house again. Like, literally, like completely irrational fears. Not that your life would change. That your life would be over. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I put in the book that you know, guys like to have an escape plan. You know, everything we can get out of, except making another human being. <laughs> that is permanent when you make another human being. So, um, you know, I've, I've struggled with anxiety for sure, but, uh, um, the, but then it's, I'll tell you when it was really therapeutic to write the book, it, it, it uh, it definitely helped. Mm. That is all left. Um, Graham, what was your experience of being in a helicopter that was shot at? Um, so I was, um, 
It was April 27, 2006. I was doing my second Afghanistan tour. This time I was with Shay Matash. And we had just done a, a show in um, Jalalabad, right in about 25 miles from the Pakistan border. And we were supposed to we were supposed to have about a 35-minute helicopter ride from Jalalabad back to Bagram, which is the main base that America had, probably still has, in Afghanistan. And we got into a firefight. So I was sitting uh, on a Black Hawk helicopter, uh, completely strapped in with body armor and a helmet. The door was open. We were flying doors open. And the gunner, who is probably, you know, where Jeff is across the table from me. So like four feet, five yeah, feet, four, four, three or three or four feet, I'd say. Um, he starts opening up on it with it with his I think it's an M60 machine gun. And we bank hard. And, you know, he's just up out of his seat. Who's but, shooting at you? Uh, someone down low. Jeez. Someone is pointing a weapon at us and shooting at mm. us. And they're they're lighting this person or people up. And. I'm not on the comms, so I don't know right. what's going on. And they're just boom and literally spent shells. They didn't give you a comm? No. <laughs> I have in the past. When I went to I started going to Iraq with Scott Kennedy, he was always he would always ask, Can we be on the comms? And I was like, Yeah. Oh, so, oh, so you could hear everything. Yeah, you yeah. hear the chatter and they're mm. that's like Sometimes you don't want to hear that because right. they're just like um, you just hear some go fuck yeah or they're yeah. just like oh that guy's on us is that you know so oh my god yeah you don't want to hear uh oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah just Oops. tell my mom I love her oh <laughs> um, so they're literally we literally were in a firefight and like spent shells one of them like just bounced off my face they're on the ground like you know peanuts shells in a sports bar or something. We bank up the other side. So I'm on the right side of they're the... They're hot, right? They're too. hot. Yeah. I'm on, the, I'm on the right side of the aircraft. Shame is on the left side. So then we bank hard so that her gunner starts opening up on somebody. And then she actually saw a guy with a rocket on his sh- shoulder. And then I see flares released out of the right side, which I didn't find out till later, are countermeasures. Mm-hmm. So when... Uh, for heat-seeking rockets. So when a heat-seeking rocket is coming at your helicopter, they release flares to distract Mm. the rocket. Smart. (laughs) I'm glad they worked. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. So that was sort of a... And then I I came... And then, like, that was insane. So we were on the helicopter for like an hour and a half. We landed, had to refuel. Then you had to do comedy? Uh, Yeah. And, (laughs) And then we were... They took us into a hospital where they were working on... A 13-year-old, um, this is in the movie, the hospital scene, a 13-year-old Afghan boy that got hit with an IED mm. and then a 9-year-old that they were prepping for brain surgery because he was playing in a minefield. Oh, my God. Because the Soviet Union mined the hell out of that country. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, that affected me. And I came back sort of out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the summer I learned how to surf. I literally just was like, I'm going to surf. And which is great, but that's something you can only distract yourself so long with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Did you know that you were affected right away? No. And I didn't, I didn't want to because I didn't, I didn't think it was real. Or I, I, I was like, well, I have little crybaby comedian PTSD. It's not real. I'm not a combat. Right. Like vet. you weren't in war. I wasn't in war. I, okay. They shot, you know, it's like being on the sidelines of an NFL game. Like, I don't know what it's really like. And these, Guys like Rudy. Come, right. <laughs> like Rudy. Yes, I'm like Rudy. Um, Second film reference. Exactly. Thank you, Chris. Um, I will allow you three. Yes. <laughs> oh, which one of us gets the last one? Um, but yeah, so I really kind of discounted it. I was like, because when you're over there as an entertainer, the soldiers, you know, the, and the military, the military folks, they all tell you these gnarly stories because they feel safe around you. You're not a reporter. You're not a contractor. You're not in the military. You're just a civilian that made them laugh. So they feel like they can really, and they tell you gnarly stuff. And you hear that and you're like, well, I just came for two weeks. This guy was on a 14 month deployment. He lost people. You know, his Humvee got blown up, you know, like he lost a limb. Mm -hmm. I don't have the right to say I got, I literally like, I didn't earn the right to say I had this. So I kind of pretended I didn't have it for a while. And, then I had to deal with it. And mm-hmm. I went to a therapist that specialized in it. And that was really, really helpful. And I, and, but the, the thing I realized too is PTSD can happen from a car accident, uh, being abused in a, an abusive relationship, being abused as a kid, getting mugged. I mean, it, it, it's not exclusive to 
soldiers. Right. So, and your brain just will replay it over and over and over again. And then you're literally reliving it. Mm-hmm. And it, and it feels like it, like it's in pre- in current time, right? Yes. And you, your body then physiologically reacts to defend itself over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So then you're like constantly on guard and you're constantly vigilant. And, you know, it's also a symptom of people that were abused as kids. If the memory was repressed and that comes forward, then it's like, whew, then you're reliving that again. Yeah. So, um, I'm really, it was something I, I was like, I gotta, I gotta, you know, cause I'm, it's, it's, it'll kill me. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it'll it'll eat you alive in one capacity or another, and you'll either self destruct or you'll, like, you know, get into a fight or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was it was something that I really, um, I had you, you know you gotta you gotta admit it first. It's like anything. Like if you had an addiction, you have to admit it. You have to admit, oh, I have a problem and I need to get help, and that's when you can start to get it. Yeah, on the um, Monday episode of my show, that so the one that came out a week before yours mm-hmm. will air, I had this woman, Lacey Newman, who was at the Route 91 Harvest Festival where wow. the oh, Las wow. Vegas Good shooting boy. massacre was, and she got shot in the leg. Uh, she's okay physically, but she wanted to share her story because she wants to get the message out there that if you've experience trauma you need to get help like the human body the human mind is not built to deal with these kind of things and you need to get help and i mean she's i think she's kind of just at the beginning of her journey of dealing with all that but she was saying that you know she heard jackhammering and she instantly wanted to drop to the ground she's afraid of tall buildings and and the story is like similar to your story i mean these stories it's just it's so nightmarish sounding like the you know me sitting here, th- this feeling of like, how can that be a, how can that be real? How can it how just, that it's too much. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's, it's too much. It seems well, your like a brain dream can kind of say, no, like this isn't real. Or you just sort of can kind of check out from it or like, yeah. it's, it's really bizarre how the human body reacts, you know, and the, the human, the brain remembers everything, mm-hmm. but it might seal it off because you're not ready. You know, like your brain might just go. Right. No nope. protection. Yeah. Yeah. For protection because you're not in a place where you can handle it. And but it's, then it's still there, like exerting power uh-huh. on stuff and reverberating. Yes. Um, this is going to be an awkward segue now. And here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and I need to talk to you guys about Beachbody on demand. Uh, you're probably familiar with Beachbody. I've used behind. Beachbody. Did you do P90X? I did P90X on the road. When I was on the road, like 40 weeks a year and couldn't find, I couldn't find, you know, you, the hotel gyms are horrible. Right. I started doing P90X and I got I got in great shape. Wait, did you have the on demand or did you carry the big stack of discs around with I, you? This was this was I first did it seven years ago. I had discs. Yeah, that's how it used to be, but no more. Yeah. No, I don't need discs anymore. No, no discs anymore. Now it's all online. It's all streaming, so you can watch it on your tablet, on your Wi-Fi enabled, what have you. It's perfect, like you like you just described. It's perfect if you're traveling in a hotel. You don't want to use the gym. You want, mm-hmm. but you still want to get your workouts in. It's perfect for that. Um, yeah. So they have like p90x insanity um the ones you've heard of then there's all there's so many different programs there's three-week yoga retreat t25 there's 21 day fix so let's say there's a wedding you have to go to in 22 days yeah <laughs> do 21 day fix and you can get your free 30-day trial you could actually do the whole thing get a whole brand new body before you even in 21 days that's, for your wedding <laughs> that's right um and also i did it uh when i was pregnant because they have a program specifically for pregnant women that's divided it's um they have that's like, the insanity one <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's just you going nuts. yeah it's just me talking to my husband yeah. um you can you you a specific program for whatever trimester you're in. And they are hard. It's hard. It's a good workout. Um, and then you need to get your nutrition in line too. Beachbody On Demand includes a brand new first of its kind cooking show for healthy weight loss and portion control called Fixate, which teaches you how to cook healthy, delicious, and simple recipes for you and your family. This is a brand new service, but already has over a million members. My listeners can claim a free trial membership. Allison Rosen is your new best friend, listeners. Just text Allison, that's A-L-I-S-O-N, to 303030 and get full access to the entire platform for free. So Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, to 303030. Okay. So um, how did the idea for PodFest, first podcast festival 
of its kind come about? Because now they're proliferating. Yes. It was Dave Anthony. It was Dave Anthony came to us. It was his said, idea. He said, you guys want to, you know, do a podcast festival. And we stupidly said yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's when we need to think things through more. Yes. Uh, yeah, we were like, because Chris and I had as filmmakers had been to a bunch of film festivals. So we kind of had ideas of what we liked and didn't like about. So we, we kind of knew how festivals should run and, and the mistakes that some of them make. So we kind of had that template in our heads, what it would look like. Yeah. And then we did it. And then we did it. Yeah. So it was, it was really, but it we was, didn't even know people were going to show up. We had to kickstart. Yeah. Excuse me. We had to kickstart it. And, uh, what was the there first was such year? a demand for 2012. It. Yeah, that uh, one of the sponsors, MailChimp, said, look, if you don't get all of your Kickstarter money, we'll put in the rest because we really want this to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So oh. there was definitely a demand for it, for sure. And we brought in Andy Wood, who was running Bridgetown. Um, and then we suckered in people like Jeff Fox. Yes. Uh, <laughs> to work on it. <laughs> a lot of really gullible people <laughs> that we could rope into doing this. <laughs> and it was really cool to see like the podcasters get involved, the fans get involved. You know, people just clamoring, how can I volunteer? And it's really cool that, you know, year six, we've grown this this community. It's one of the things we we were happy to show in earbuds too. And and people were like, you know, uh, the first year I came to PodFest, I came alone. And now I have friends. All It's like the community you've grown here mm-hmm. on this show. It became a reunion for people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and. The joke is always it's three days where you don't have to explain to anybody what a podcast is. <laughs> so and it's really cool. And and now every year it's like we see these people. I, I, I love seeing people who, oh, I've, this is my fourth year, fifth year, whatever. Uh, and then the people who are like, oh, my God, I've only heard about it. This was my first year. It's the coolest thing. And so I, I, it's a really it's a really wonderful experience. It's a lot of work. And, you know, we, we need it to be profitable. <laughs> yes. So there's that, too. There's the, that little the, thing. The, um, the business aspect of it. Um, so, because we, uh, we took a hit last year, but this year was a recovery year, so we did, we did better. So it's mm-hmm. looking good for year seven. Yeah. What were uh, some of the things that you felt were important to... Let me, let me rephrase this. Let me make the question as simple as possible. You said that you had been to a bunch of festivals and you didn't want to make the mistakes that they made. Like, what were you trying to do? Well, we wanted it all under one roof. Yeah, we wanted to make sure there was a community aspect to it, and that was really important for us, to have everything all under one roof, where people who were coming from out of town, they could stay right where the event is. We didn't want it scattered all mm-hmm. over the, the city. We wanted where people could you know, hang out, they could go to shows, they could go to panels, they could go to the lab, and they could do it all in the same place and then have parties thereafter as well. Yeah, and go get mm-hmm. something to eat. And so really, the, the the community feel was important to us. And I'm, while there's always challenges doing stuff in a hotel, um, the everything under one roof aspect is, is one of my favorite parts about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. A question, I had, the, I had, the, I, there's a question mm-hmm. that's, it's like, it was right on the tip of my tongue, and then it just it just went into the ether. Oh no! Oh yeah, I know. Okay. How do you feel about all these other podcast festivals? Um, overall, I'm I think it's a good thing when they open up, you know, down the road and thirty days after ours. That's um, not as helpful. That's not as helpful, <laughs> and then they have a big corporation that scoops up big name talent and then hurts our ticket sales. That I'm not a fan of. And then of. is able to write off one to $200,000 because they are a big corporation. And it's, presumably the big talent that they scoop up, they are like exclusive with them, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that specifically, I'm not a fan of. More podcast festivals overall is a good thing. Because it's like film festivals mm-hmm. and, you know, comic cons. It's like, you know, the more uh, that it gets into the consciousness, the better. Yeah. And also, I think it's the bigger corporations bigger companies that have uh, marketing money to, to just spend on putting their name on a festival. Initially, when it was just us and one others, they're not going to like, what is this thing? It's just like a CB radio convention or something. It's <laughs> a, a value. But you look, you know, there's thousands of film festivals. So that's when you, you know, like the example, and, and a lot of these tech companies that have sponsored us, the festival has been great. They're, we we appreciate it. But the, the, the limitation of some of the tech companies is they really want this, like, give us a dollar and this gives us this many clicks or views or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas a bigger company, like, let's say Amex, they sponsor the Tribeca Film Festival. 
they're not, they don't have booths with people signing up for credit cards. They're just like, we're a part of this cool thing. Right. Brand recognition. Brand recognition. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro's hip and cool. We're a part of this. We just want to support it. So, um, and that, that won't happen until there's more podcast festivals. And it's starting to. We're starting to get, you know, bigger companies that just understand brand recognition and aren't so um, dependent upon conversions as the tech right. companies are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's... You know, they have a whole al- algorithm of we spend this much, we expect this many clicks, those kind of things. And that's like, I get it. And I, you know, the, again, the tech company has been very helpful for us, but it's also like, well, how about a long-term strategy that grows your relationship? Brand, our, our relationship grows our brand, grows everything together. And that the fans get a better experience, the podcasters are getting paid good money. Like you could really do that if you w- weren't just so hung up on this conversion thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to the other question, you know, like can PodFest continue? We need something like that. Who let the dogs out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the dogs in. <laughs> Do you feel like any podcast festival tried dogs to out of breath sab- <laughs> just from coming in? <laughs> She's on a walk. Um, and it's hot out there. Tried to sabotage you? I mean, I, you know, I, I can't ever, I don't know for sure, but what now here, di- this did last year of putting a festival in Anaheim 30 days after our festival, they spent and pulled talent from pulled us. talent from us. It really seemed like they were gunning for us because now they're in New York trying to do the same thing to the New York festival. So it's hard to not look at that and go, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's like, if not, it's a weird coincidence. It's a weird, very weird coincidence. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, in a moment do just me or everyone because I know Chris has one of his own. But I want to tell you guys I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for that. Different reward levels, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, bonus episodes, interactive live stream, merch in the mail, and more. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. And if you like what you're hearing, iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go to subscribe. And please also leave us a nice review because that helps out the show. Okay. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay, so what is yours, Chris? I have one where I, um, if I flip a light switch and it only goes halfway, I flip it again halfway just to even it out. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I don't know why I do that, but uh, I just feel like it should be even. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> wait what <laughs> you know how you flip a light switch and it doesn't always go all the way maybe it just goes halfway and then goes back yeah then i do that again just to make just to even it out i think all my light switches are stiffer than that well we we have some old light switches I in see. the valley so <laughs> <laughs> i would have to i would have to for sure get it all even yeah but i'm not proud of that yeah so that's your is it just that's me the, yeah that's, just me or just everyone me, yeah it, that's just you you probably I don't know anybody that's <laughs> unless there's some people with some severe OCD that yeah. are listening to this that really need to weigh in on their life. It's uh that's light oriented. TSDCX says, when I feel like a store employee is following me around, I move towards them like I'm starting to follow them. I've never done that. That's, wow, that's brilliant, creepy. Though. That's great. I like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Way to out creep them. I know. Yeah. Good for you. I'm gonna start using that. I feel like Todd Glass what just went everyone. <laughs> uh misa evans says when a volume input has numbers i feel the volume must be set so that it is divisible by five like 10 or 15 etc i don't have that one i've discussed specifically i have a i don't like to wake up on a zero or a five because then i'm playing by their rules or something i don't know like i set my alarm for 801 or like we all sorts of weird stuff Wow, the light switch now isn't sounding as weird. No, no this, oh, this is where the weirdness comes out. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a volume input issue? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a volume input issue, but this is a thing I do um, when I, mainly when I'm traveling and there's people talking loud on cell phones and airports or whatever. I always answer their question, not so they can hear, but just. So for me to make, if I'm traveling with someone, then I'm doing it to make them laugh. But I, I, I just can't, I can't, when someone's just like, wow, you know, we got to get out to 
to Charlotte and get the team together for the sales reports. I'm just like, I don't know. I don't think Charlotte's team's really got their shit together at all. <laughs> you know, I just always, I just always have to respond. And usually I'm the only one hearing it. <laughs> uh, okay. James Leroy Wilson says, I remember my childhood home phone number. Can barely remember my current one. Yes, I remember my two seven four eight one two five six four zero five 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 nine. Eight six seven five three zero nine. Oh come Chris. on! Yeah, I don't know. No, I don't remember any phone numbers. I used to be a phone number savant before cell phones. Cell phones, I am convinced, make you stupid. Mm-hmm. I could remember all my close. I think there's scientific data to back that. Yes, up. Yes, <laughs> since all my friends, close friends. Family members, I had all their cell phones memorized. People would ask me, hey, Graham, what's so-and-so's number? And I go, oh, it's this, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm just like, I don't know. The phone Let me check my me. phone. For the longest time, my husband and I didn't have each other's numbers memorized. Um, I think for me, it's an iPhone thing. Because when I had a BlackBerry and my cell phones before that, the flip phone or the little Nokia or whatever they were, I did have people's numbers memorized. But on the iPhone, it's so easy to just go into contacts, favorites, and then just press their name. It's so easy to not remember them. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. finally, we both realized this is not a good system in case we ever are separated from our phone and need to reach each other and... Would ha- I don't know how we just never would. <laughs> we, w- we wouldn't be together now. Um, you know, or if your phone runs out of charge or whatever. So fine. Like, but every time I tell someone his number or I'm able to fill it out on a form without looking it up, I feel proud of myself. It's good. You should know that. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Danielle Lynn says, have to check my teeth every time I see a mirror, even if I haven't eaten recently. I don't specifically check my teeth, but I do look at myself. In check the for food. Yeah, just to, just make sure everything's like where it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. you don't want something weird, some yeah. smudge on your nose you didn't know you had. Or, or the worst for a woman would be like the smudge on your upper lip, and then you look like you have a mustache. Oh, unless you you want that look, in which case, kudos, it's working for you. <laughs> your plan is functioning well. Jennifer Takaji says, when reading a good book or binge watching a good show, but she wrote GD book or GD show. So I first read it like when reading a goddamn book or binge watching a goddamn (laughs) show, but I'm realizing she means good. I can't wait to get to the end to see how it ends. Then I'm sad it's over. Well, I am, I'm a, I spoil things for myself sometimes. I get impatient and then I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I have to just look up what happens. And it's easy to find the plot of everything everywhere oh yeah wikipedia will tell you it will spoil everything for you if you like i won't do that but i've read the last page of books before you know where i'm just like what's going on yeah i gotta get an idea and then i'll just see something the last page like oh maybe it means this i find myself doing that sometimes and then just stopping myself like no read it go back read it all the way through (laughs) usually if you just read the very last page Usually it doesn't really spoil it because you don't even like there's something. It's some yeah. kind of epilogue. We'll, yeah. <laughs> but it, or also it'll be like, and then she walked away and you're like, who's she? Who's she? Why is she walking? <laughs> Where are they? Right. Yeah. So then it's kind of fun to watch how it all links up for me. And lastly, Ms. Appropriate says, after sending a text, I immediately worry I sent it to the wrong person and double check multiple times. Yes. This and email. Because... Whenever I'm sending an email, for some reason, it's like my brain goes into autopilot when I'm typing in their name and it kind of auto, it like fills in their name for you. And then I'll think, did I, I'm not sure I sent that to the right person. This is similar to yesterday. I'm like, either I've taken three allergy pills, meaning I took one every time it occurred to me I needed to take one, or I've taken none. And I don't know. I don't know the answer. You need a pill case. Yes. I have recently realize that I will rehearse a conversation I'm going to have with somebody and it's not it's not even a it's literally like yeah like uh, I am here for my dentist appointment right like (laughs) oh I'm you know and it sounds like I'm concocting a story (laughs) and so that happened with someone I was I was dating and I got off the phone and I was like all right I'm parking and then I didn't realize the phone was hung up. So then I was, and they were like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I'm just nuts. I didn't realize I didn't know. Like, they did not, I was like, I know it sounds like I concocted this because I was telling them where I just came from. <laughs> and they're like, were you really doing that? I was like, yeah, I, I was. I just, I do this all the time. And I would catch myself like. Normally the phone isn't on. Normally the phone isn't on. <laughs> like literally like, oh, I know I'm going to see my buddy. So I'm like. I just like, hey, but you do it out loud all the time? 
yeah, I talk to myself. I'm fucking nuts. So I like when I drive my car, I put my headset in so people don't think I'm crazy. Uh-huh. But I talk to myself all the time. And I don't know if it's like a comedian thing because you rehearse your act. Right. So then I just rehearse. Like I'm literally was rehearsing a Walker, a guy that we all know. Mm-hmm. We like talking sports, and I was like, "Oh, I, I gotta." And I'm rehearsing our conversation about <laughs> baseball because <laughs> he's a Yankee fan, and it's like, "Well, this is insane. Why well, am I rehearsed?" Like, it's a great cover. All you have to do is always have one earbud in, and it doesn't matter where it, what it's connected to. Yeah, but then when somebody you're dating hears it, they think you're fucking <laughs> lying. Like your whole life is bullshit. And you're like, "No, I was just helping this person put up their fire their." The fire extinguisher? Yeah, they had a, a smoke detector. <laughs> oh, it was a smoke detector. And I literally was like, oh, it was a smoke detector. And we just had to use the ladder. And mm-hmm. and they're like, that sounds like you're rehearsing a yeah. fucking lie. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not. Call them. Oh, my God. Yes. Are you still with this person? No. <laughs> they started. And then a bus full of clowns came in. Yeah. And then they, yeah. Chris and Graham, it was so nice having you guys on the show. It was great to be here. Thank Thanks, you. Thank um, tell every, plug, plug, do your plugs. Earbuds, the podcasting documentary is available on iTunes, Amazon, cable TV, yep. video satellite, on all all platforms, all platforms. Um, and if and please buy it, please buy it. There's bonus features. You can get high def versions. Uh, the bonus content's really cool. And, then, and that's on the DVD. You can get the DVD uh, in another week at Comedy Film Nerds. Yep. And so and th- those, but you can download digital versions of bonus content as well from iTunes. Um, For real. Yeah. yeah. Why are you looking at me like no, you don't know this? Because I haven't seen it yet. Oh. I haven't seen it on the uh, on the page. Really? Yeah. I just want to make sure. Oh. <laughs> well, if you guys find bonus content on iTunes, <laughs> let us know. That might be exclusive to Comedy Film Nerds. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then you can't get it yet. Ha-ha. Yeah. <laughs> it's really awesome. Uh, and then Afghanistan is available on Amazon. If you go into Comedy Dynamics, uh, they have a page of all their stuff. And then our podcast, Comedy Film Nerds. Uh, if you go to ComedyFilmNerds.com, you can also get it on iTunes and everywhere else. We have a YouTube channel. Yes. So. And also, uh, we also have a Patreon page, too. Please uh, support that as well. Yeah. You get bonus content. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. You want to say the Patreon? Patreon.com slash ComedyFilmNerds. Well, there it's mm-hmm. Red's. I could have guessed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jeff, where do we find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen and the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. And follow me on Instagram at Allison Rosen. Thank you again, you guys, for being on the show. Everyone go check out the documentary. Thank you. I'm Thank- not in it. But check it out anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but my name is. My We're, name is in the credits. Yeah, because there's a quick clip of you. Oh. You're on stage for a second. You're like, when we show up, like, kind of a montage of PodFest, it's you doing PodFest, and, like, Greg Proops is on stage with you, oh, or Doug a, Benson, yeah, or something the first like year. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you, you're, on, you're on screen oh. for just... Oh, so you're in I it. I blinked, you're, and I did miss it. You're <laughs> in it. <laughs> to win it. To win it. So, or well, also at Comedy Film Nerds, too, on... Yes. On, I forget to say that on... Twitter, Twitter. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? 